would you please welcome Pastor Bob Claycamp uh, as he brings the word to us this morning. Bob is... Bob has spent many years in ministry here in the Valley of the Sun, but the last six years he has been uh, in that cold, dark place called the UK. <laughs> and, uh, and he has faithfully ministered there, and I I'm, hope you will share a bit with us about that. We, can, we uh, have history here at Calvary Chapel Surprise uh, with Bob. Bob has served as the interim senior pastor previously here at our church and um, has then gone on to be a part of this ministry in uh, England. And um, we actually are a part of that ministry as well as we support he and his beautiful wife, Jeannie, in that, in that ministry there. Um, there's uh, good things happening there. Maybe you can unfold that for us a bit sure. uh, before you dig in. All right, good. Thanks, Brad. First of all, I want to say thank you for the prayers that have gone on for my wife and I um, over these six years, That almost six years we've been there in the UK, but especially this past year. Um, in September, I had a heart attack, and it uh, wasn't time for me to go home to be with the Lord, although I was willing. I mean, you know, you're kind of out of control when all that happens. But just through your prayers and, uh, you know, the, what God was doing in our lives, you know, I'm just, I'm grateful. I know that it wasn't my time and there's more to do. So uh, we went over there six years ago to pastor this little church called Calvary Chapel Exeter to raise up British leaders and to continue working through the Poiman Ministries to come alongside other pastors and wives in the UK and in Europe. And so, uh, you know, that was going swimmingly well until things began to hasten uh, that needed to be transitioned there at Calvary Exeter. And we turned the church over to a British pastor uh, last month, and that has freed us up to be able to go back to the UK and come alongside other pastors and wives in the UK and in Europe. Most of the churches there are quite small and there's not a whole lot of help. And when you have a pastor and his wife that have been there 15, 20 years and they're saying, what, what am I doing wrong? What, you know, it's just so hard here. My kids are ready to take off and and my wife is ready to leave me. And, you know, it's, we're back to the same thing that we faced many years ago when we first came. And, you know, and just to offer perspective, because there are some things, some dynamics that just won't change. You're living in a small village, a small town, and you're, you're using the scripture every Sunday as your base which is not done much there. You know, you've got your traditions and your bells and your smells and your fairy tales, but the word of God isn't so strong as it used to be. And so um, just being able to come alongside them and encourage them and, and say, listen, you know, 
when you first came here, you had this vision of what God could do, and he's not done. And the strength that he, he gave you when you started is the same strength he's looking to give you now, but you have to get refocused and understand your calling. So that's kind of what, uh, what's ahead for us. We feel like um, within the next uh, two or three years, we'll probably be done in the UK and Europe and moving back here. We have 11 grandkids in the States and uh, they're growing up and um, I'll be 70 by then and um, praying for the rapture. <laughs> anyway, so I'd like you to open your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John. And we're going to look at four separate sections in the Gospel of John because we want to do a character study on the Apostle Philip. Now, how I like to do character studies is I want to find all the places where Philip's name is mentioned, where he occurs in the context. And John's Gospel gives us a great insight four different times of the interaction between Jesus and this apostle named Philip. Now, we're not talking about Philip the evangelist there in the book of Acts. We're talking about Philip the apostle. So we're going to start off in chapter 1, and we're going to see how Jesus called Philip to follow him. And we're going to make some applications to our life today. And then over in chapter 6, we're going to see Jesus interacting with Philip again at the feeding of the 5,000. And there are some lessons for us to learn there as Jesus deals with Philip because it really mirrors how he's still dealing with us today so often in our own life. The third section, sorry, is in John chapter 20, excuse me, John chapter 12, verses 20 to 22. And this is when Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem right before he ends up being betrayed and crucified. And there are these Greeks that come to Philip and want to see Jesus. And when, as we examine that text, we want to see how that as a disciple following Jesus, God puts, in, puts us in situations where we connect others with Jesus. And then finally, we see the last mention of Philip in John's Gospel, chapter 14, <clears throat> in the intimate conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. I'm so glad the Apostle John put this here because it, it's, a, it's a pulling back of the curtain and a listening in on this private conversation going on between Jesus and his disciples, John chapter 14 to 17. And then we see Philip here mentioning, um, Lord, show us the Father, and it's sufficient for us. And how Jesus deals with Philip during that time, as Philip is trying to process um, what this is all about. I mean, every year, every day with Jesus was a new understanding, a new revelation of who he was and, and what was important in the kingdom. So those are the four texts, and then uh, we'll make some applications as we go through, all right? So let's start with a word of prayer, and we'll dive into chapter 1. 
Father God, we are grateful and thankful to you for allowing us to have the scriptures as abundantly as we have it in this country. We're asking God for open ears, ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to understand. We've gathered here because we want to hear from you directly, specifically, individually, personally. And so, Lord, as we go through this section, help us to hear from you, and not just to hear, but to understand, and not just to understand, but to obey. And so put this before you in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 1, verse 43. The day following, by the way, I'm reading the New King James Version. Some call it the nuked King James, but you know, it's a good translation. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. This is the first time in all the gospel records where Jesus gives a direct call to follow him. First time. The last time is also in John's gospel in chapter 21, where Jesus says to Peter, follow me. After Peter said, well, hey, how about John the apostle? What's he going to do? And Jesus said, what's it to you? You follow me. <laughs> it kind of is like today. Hey, what, what are they going to do? And you give me a hard life. Look at them. They don't. What's it to you? It's kind. It's not snotty. It's kind. What's it to you? What is that to thee? Let's be King Jamesy. You follow me. I want you to look carefully at verse 43. And by the way, it is okay to mark in your Bibles and underline things or highlight things. It's not blasphemy. You can do this because it helps you retain things the Lord is speaking to your heart about. And if you would, I'd like you to consider underlying the words, he found Philip. That gets overlooked a lot. Because you see, that presents to us a reality that Jesus finds us before we find him. Does that make sense? He finds us. Those of you that are believers in here today, do you know that you are a believer because Jesus found you first? Yet we go around and say, I found Jesus. No, he found you. And when he found you, he said, follow me. Same, very same. It's a command. It's a present tense command that lasts forever. Because you know what? When you get to heaven, guess what you're going to be doing? Following Jesus, okay? It goes on. This is like basic training here, okay, in this life. And then we graduate, and it's like, you know, forever. That's an amazing thought. Follow me. He found Philip. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 16, to his disciples, you did not choose me, 
but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you that you love one another. I have appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. What's that mean? Christian service, how many people you bring to Christ? I would suggest that the fruit he is talking about is fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is wrapped up in one four-letter word, love. But listen, the word love is the Greek word agape. We cannot manufacture agape. We can't make it up. We have to get it from heaven. It has to be imparted to us by the Holy Spirit. God calls us to love our enemies. I can't manufacture that. But I can receive it. You know, there are places that are called distribution centers here in Arizona where they bring in the goods from all kinds of places and they put them in the warehouse and then semis back up and they're loaded in and then they go out. It's a distribution center. They don't make or manufacture the goods there, do they? In the same way, we're not called to manufacture the love of God. We're called to receive the love of God and pass it on. So if you find you're not loving your enemy or even your friends, you know, it just shows that there's a light on the dash that says you're low on oil, the Holy Spirit. You need to pull over. Yeah, you need to get some oil in your life. You need you know, to be filled with the Spirit. God wants to love through you, but you have to be open. You've got to open the cap, so to speak, and put the oil in. And that just comes by invitation. Fill me with the Holy Spirit, Lord, to overflowing. And then pour me out. And then fill me up and pour me out. And that's our whole life. I've appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. But remember, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Think about that. You're a believer here today. You didn't choose Jesus. He chose you. He found you. And he said, follow me. And do you know that the word follow me is an active word for your entire life until you breathe your last and then you go into heaven don't be set aside by the siren song of the society that says you have a right to have a break today. Back off on all this Christian stuff. You've paid your dues. Chill out. Follow me. Every day of your life, finish well. Finish well. And if you've fallen down in your marathon race, and spiritually, it's time to get back up and stop moping off to the side. The race isn't over. Get back in the race. Follow me. It's very specific. It's active even today. It's interesting that Philip left the area of northern Galilee there. His town was from the northern uh, shoreline of the Sea of Galilee, along with Andrew and Peter. They were from that village called Bethsaida. And 
What are they doing down there with John's baptism? Not just them, but also James and John. They went all the way from northern Galilee to check out John. Something was stirring in their hearts, wasn't it? That was the Holy Spirit preparing them because God was calling them. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, what am I doing in church? How did I get here? Thanks, friend. You know, I thought we were going to Jack in the Box and we ended up in this church in a warehouse. What's up with that? You know what? God uses all kinds of ways. All kinds of ways. I ended up in a Christian. I ended up in a commune. In 1969, when the Lord called me, it was the, it was the house the rock band rented. I mean, that was part of the rock band, and it was our house, and we practiced downstairs, and, but we needed help from the rent. So the keyboard player invited a couple of his friends to come over and help pay the rent. They had just become new believers. They were so annoying. <laughs> but you know, Jesus found me took about six weeks. He found me. And then I remember that night. Follow me. It was some major change. Major change. So Philip comes to Nathaniel, which most Bible commentators believe Nathaniel is the same as Bartholomew in the list of, of the apostles. John mentions his name, Nathaniel, here. Philip goes to Nathaniel and says, we have found him, Jesus of Nazareth. And the response of Nathaniel was a theologically you know, accurate, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Because there was no real distinct prophecies in the Old Testament that referred to the Messiah as being from Nazareth. So he's not like dissing Nazareth here, really. He's just saying there's nothing in, in Scripture that really matches. What are you saying? Here's what Philip did. He didn't get into a theological argument. He just said, come and see. Now, isn't that evangelism, really? We don't have to be, you know, doing spiritual wrestling with people over theological issues. They just need to meet Jesus because he'll take care of the questions. I had tons of questions. It took a while to sort them out. But you know what? Jesus came to me in the midst of my mud. He's not waiting for me to clean up when he comes to me and says, follow me. He wants me to repent of my sins, but he doesn't want to require me to take a bath before he comes and gives me a bath. Right? I come as I am. Let's continue on. John chapter 6. Now we're two years later into the ministry of Jesus. Two years later. It is probably the largest group that were following Jesus at this point. They're off in a deserted place because things had been so busy for the disciples, they didn't even have time to eat, the scripture tells us. Many were coming and going. And so Jesus has them all get in a boat and go off to a deserted place. And we find out that it's a deserted place east of the city of Bethsaida, Philip's city, Andrew's city. 
And so they're out here in this empty, barren area. Maybe Philip and Andrew even played there when they were kids. So they're there, and they've, it's been a busy, busy day. Jesus had preached the kingdom of God. He had healed the sick. He had um, touched those that had diseases. It was a great, busy ministry day. And the sun was beginning to go down. And the disciples are saying to Jesus, you know, you need to send them away because to find lodging and things to eat, we're in a deserted place here. And John, in his gospel, does something really neat here. He mentions the conversation between Jesus and Philip. In verse 5, then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. Where was Philip from? He was from the village next to the deserted place. There's not enough kiosks in Bethsaida to even begin to handle this. What are we? Because Jesus said where, not how, or even not even when. He just said where. And he said it to Philip. And he said it to test him. Because he himself knew what he would do. That's my, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Because I've used it all the time. When we don't know what to do, when nothing makes sense going on in our life, guess what? Jesus himself knows what to do. And he will not leave us nor forsake us as, as his disciples. It's interesting how the Lord allows us to come to places of despondency, poverty, no resource, no hope, no answer, no light at the end of the tunnel. And then he asks us the questions. How are we going to go forward? <laughs> I mean, you know, Philip had a pretty honest, open relationship with Jesus. Philip is kind of a calculating disciple, I think. He's already got this figured out. 200 denarii worth of bread. That equals around six months' wages. He's going, there's no way. Six months' wages isn't enough to even have, you know, even give them a little. That makes no sense. But, you know, Jesus didn't push him away. He didn't say, what kind of disciple are you? Lighten up. No, no. He just says, bring the lunch to me. The next verses, here's Andrew, also from Bethsaida, brings this little kid with a happy meal. It's a five barley loaves and two small fish. The happy meal, by the way, is it's flatbread. It's not Wonder Bread loaves. It's, it's flatbread, barley. Barley it was, was horse food. Kind of like biting into your protein bars today, you know. <laughs> you know, it's, it's healthy, but not so good on your taste buds. So 
five barley loaves and two small fish. And the fish, not sushi here, we're not talking fancy. It's salted, dried, two small fish. Small, it says. We're not talking salmon. And, you know, divide those between 12 disciples and Jesus. Everybody gets a little hors d'oeuvre, really, and then fish juice. I mean, how do you take, you know, take those two small fish and divide it into 13? Good luck. It's all over your hands. And then, you know, it's 5,000. Where are we going to buy bread? But Jesus knew what he would do. Jesus tests us during those times of lack, during those times of no resource, during those times when you have no answer and you've lost the plot. Because he knows what to do. Do you realize that every single miracle Jesus did was done at a time of desperation for that individual? Maybe they were even dead. Why does he wait? for death to happen before there's resurrection because that's what resurrection is. Oh, I want to live the resurrected life. Really? Do <laughs> you realize that that means death? You know, you want a miracle? I want to have a miraculous life. Okay, study the Gospels a minute. Are you willing to die to your vision? Die to your expectation. Die to your hope. Die to what you think is reasonable. Die to your resource. But even during that, Jesus knows what to do. Man, that's good news. And then one final thing, and we'll go on. When you read through this, you find that how did Jesus take care of it? They brought the happy meal to Jesus, and then he said, make them sit down in groups of 50. Jesus sent the disciples to serve while he took care of the provision. And I want to say, if you're in the midst of a situation where you've got nothing to offer Jesus except a little funky happy meal, that's your life. What can I offer him? It's worse than five barley loaves and two salted fish. That's, I mean, Jesus can take that and he can do magnificent things with it, but you got to bring it to him. And then as you bring your life to him, he says, okay, now I want you to go serve those and I'll take care of the provision. I think that's, I think that's important here. How do we miss that? Rather than sitting and sulking, going, man, I don't have anything. God's not providing. Thanks, God. I really appreciate it. And you're sitting there just moaning and whinging, and you know, and, and wait a minute. Get up and serve. He'll take care of it. Let go of your happy meal. Let go of your trying to figure it out and tear it up into little pieces. Just forget it. Take, give it to Jesus. He'll take care of it. He will. That doesn't make sense. Well, did this make sense? Yeah, but... You know, and you've got all these reasons. And it's like, stop. Just trust him. What have you got to lose? Chapter 12, let's go to there, our third section. Jesus is now toward the, the end. It's just a, 
a short time before he's betrayed. And they're there in the temple area, John chapter 12. In verse 20, now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. And when they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, again it's mentioned, and they asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew. And in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. Why did they come to Philip? Well, you know, his name was Greek. Philip is a Greek name, not a Jewish name. Andrew is also a Greek name, not a Jewish name. And they lived in the region of Bethsaida, which bordered Gentile territory. Most Bible commentators, well, let's just say many Bible con commentators, look at this word Greek here, and it is a, uh, they believe it's a reference to Gentile proselytes to, the, to Judaism. That's why they were there in the temple, or in the temple area, because no Gentile can come into, you know, close into the temple. You've got your court of the Gentiles on the extreme outside. Then you've got the court of the women, then you've got the court of the men, real small court. Then you've got the court of the priests where you have the altar of burnt offering and the temples right there. So it's, a lot, it's very possible that they were on the outside and they're saying, sir, we would see Jesus. Can you go get him for us? So here's Philip going, this is awkward. Um, it goes to Andrew, his buddy he grew up with. Go, you know, Let's go see Jesus and let's find out. And it's right after that, that Jesus begins to talk about him being glorified. And I have a hunch, I don't know, but I have a hunch that this is kind of a, a, a forerunner telling that there's going to be the Gentiles that will be coming into the kingdom through faith. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And, and this is still one of the ways the Holy Spirit uses us today to connect others to Jesus. They come and see the light of and life of Jesus through your life, and they go, you know, I don't know what it is about you, but there's something about you that is different, and, and I need to find out what it is. My wife's sister came to us a long time ago, and you know, we didn't know why she would come down because we didn't have that close of a relationship, really. And she says, you know, I just need to talk to you guys. So she came down to where we were. And so we're sitting, chatting and doing different things. And then she says, you're probably wondering why I wanted to come down. And we're going, you know, and you don't go, well, yeah, you know, you just go, oh, really? And she says, why is it you guys are always so happy? I want that. I don't know what has happened to you, but I want that. And we're looking at each other and going, man, we've just been through some hairy trials. I mean, are you happy? That's not the word, really. There's other words that, remind with, that rhyme with happy <laughs> that I would more likely to use, you know, than happy. What was happening is the Lord was using our life to reflect himself to others without our knowledge, just like he's doing in your life right now. 
You know, it's amazing. You can work in your office or work in your warehouse and people know you're different. There's something about you. It's not your cologne, not your perfume, but it actually is kind of your cologne. It's a fragrance of Christ. You don't swear in normal conversation. You don't laugh at their dirty jokes because they're kind of grievous. And you just don't want to be a part of it. And you haven't really said anything. But boy, the Lord is using it. God is using it with your relatives. You know how it is around those holiday times when all of the relatives get together and, and they're, they're just kind of patronizing you. Oh, oh yes, he's here. Maybe he should pray for the food. And you just feel like throwing the mashed potatoes at him, you know? <laughs> you just go, yeah, I'll pray for you, you, you heathen. You, <laughs> you know, all these thoughts come into your mind. You go, okay, you want to stand on the table and do, you know, anyway. You go pray for your own food. And, and <laughs> you can't do that. You, gotta, you just got to say, you catch it. You know what dodgeball is, right? You play dodgeball as a kid. You either get out of the way or you catch it. So when they throw those things at you, catch it. Set it aside. Don't throw it back at them. I'm talking to myself here. <laughs> Sir, we would see Jesus. He didn't, they didn't send him away. They went to Jesus with it. Going, wow, Lord, looks like you're doing a work there. Um, and then you, you know what the next thing is? Come and see. Because Jesus answers all the questions in time. Finally, chapter 14. This is a section I love. It's an intimate conversation between Jesus and his disciples that John alone records. I'm so glad it's in here, chapter 14 to chapter 17. But it's here in chapter 14 where Phil, the last time Philip is mentioned is right here. Jesus is having this conversation seemingly after the Passover meal is done up in the upper room. And Jesus makes a statement in verse 4. He says, and where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, and from now on you know him and have seen him. And here comes Philip, popping in. He's already there, but he just pops up, and he says, Lord, show us the Father, and it'll be sufficient for us. Come on, you're telling us we've seen the Father. I don't connect that yet. There's an open relationship. You know, Jesus knew what they were thinking before they spoke. But there was this openness, this connection with Jesus, an intimate relationship where you can just be who you are and you can say what you want. And so Jesus says to them, and you've seen the Father. They're going, uh, missed that one. Look. Lord, just show us the Father, we'll be fine. That's great. 
And then I want you to pay attention to how Jesus answers Philip, because this is important. It's how the Lord still deals with us. When we don't understand what he's doing, we don't understand what he's saying. I don't get that. Look at how Jesus answers Philip in verse 9. Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. You would think Jesus said, I mean, this is his last hours, right? He's going to be betrayed in a few hours. And here's Philip going, Lord, we don't get that at all. I mean, show us the Father. You tell us we've seen the Father. I don't see him at all. Show us the Father. We'll be, we'll be sufficient. It was from New York. He'd go, hey, show us the Father. Come on, show us the Father. No. Here's how Jesus answers. Have I been with you so long and you haven't known me? Philip, you know, he called him by name. Those of you who are Christians here, you know, the Lord knows your name. And he says, have I been so long with you? And still, you don't understand. He that's seen me has seen the father. Jesus was the express image of the father. All the character of God, all the heart of God, all the ways of the Lord are expressed through the Lord Jesus. When we read the Gospels, we can see that. Sometimes we get so caught up in doctrine, to be doctrinally right, that we miss the heart of the Father. When we have questions, Jesus deals with us in kindness. Have I been so long time with you? John, Jack, Bob. You haven't known me? He that's seen me has seen the Father. Believe me. Sometimes we don't believe what we say we believe. Oh, well, we, you know, we'll tick the boxes, and this is what I believe, but we're not walking in that belief system. The Lord knows your life situation right now. He knows what you're facing. He knows all the thoughts you've had, all the private conversations behind closed doors, all the times in the car when you're driving down the road and you're just, you know, complaining. And you're asking, where are you, God? What's up with this? Jesus knows what to do. And if you're a disciple here today, Jesus is saying the same thing. Follow me. Follow me. It's not me following you. It's you following me. Don't be following a church. Don't be following a pastor. Don't be following man. Follow Jesus. He's the one that is the way, the truth, and the life. Some of you this morning may not have made that choice yet to follow Jesus. Still doesn't make sense. You're just not sure about all this religious stuff. 
Well, could it be because it was tried to be hammered into you when you were growing up and you're done with that? I'm a free person now. Well, I want to tell you something. Jesus is real. He rose from the dead. He's still alive today. And he's looking for you. Jesus found you in the sanctuary of Calvary Chapel Surprise. And he's saying to you, follow me. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word today. And we know that you are doing a wonderful work in all of our lives. Much of it we still don't understand. But we trust what the Bible tells us. And we want to put our trust in Jesus and continue to follow him no matter what. And Father God, there may be some here today in the sanctuary or those listening online or those who will be listening later. And they're at that point of considering what direction to go with their life. And we believe, Lord, that you do search out those you are calling like lost sheep, calling them back to yourself. And when you find them, you say, follow me. As we continue to pray as a congregation, those of you here today that have not yet surrendered your life to Christ, could it be that it's not a coincidence that you're here this morning? Because the Lord wants to make himself real to you. But you've got to come to him on his terms. His terms are simply come as you are. Repent of your sin. Invite him to come and make his home in your life and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness and to reveal himself to you. So we say to you, come and see. If you'd like to know how to take that step, I'll lead you in a prayer here. Just mean it in your heart. Open your life to him. And say to God, God, I come to you this morning. I'm unsure about a lot of things. And I got a lot of questions. But if this indeed is true, I want to know it. So I ask you, God, to forgive me of my sin. I repent. I turn to you. And I ask you to make yourself real to me. Please send the Holy Spirit of God into my life. Open my eyes from my spiritual blindness. And I thank you. I know that if you've prayed that prayer, God has heard your heart, not looking for specific words, but your heart released to him. And Father God, for the rest of us, thanks for the exhortation to continue to follow you, follow your son Jesus throughout eternity. In Jesus' name.